Thank you for listening to this talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Uh, g'day guys, there's heaps of you here. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> it's a very, very big audience. It's lovely to meet you all. My name is Abdul. I'll tell the same joke every time when I talk. So my name is Abdul Hamid bin Ibrahim bin Abdullah, but you can call me Abdul, that's totally fine. <laughs> and I'm the, the second Abdul brother who's been in the Adelaide Biennial. So my older brother's around here somewhere. He was in it four years ago with a, a, a carving, a self-portrait wood carving of himself in a canoe with a, with a rooster. It's fantastic work. I don't know where he is, but he's, he's around. But uh, welcome. Welcome to Understudy. So this is my work for the for the 2020 biennial, and there's there's actually two works in the show. So there's Understudy, which we're in this the sculptural sculptural installation, and then we've got an embroidery around the corner as you came in with the hands coming up, and that one's called Breach. Um, so I'll talk through quickly. I sort of they're, they're they're different works, but they're they're linked works, and they they continue a through line of research for me, which I've been doing for for quite a few years, where I've been looking at. Well, quite fortuitously with this biennial, I've been looking at monsters for a long time and I've been looking at monsters and how they've been used in cinema and how they've been used in literature. So that's, I've been thinking about it for a bit and how they've been used as stand-ins for broad societal anxieties. Whether you're talking about immigration, uh, epidemics or the environment, we, we've got Godzilla and a nuclear apocalypse, you know, we've got World War Z and that threat of an epidemic. Um, they used to talk about other things. They're always used as metaphors and a way to understand the world and a way to justify things. So uh, in particular, I've been looking at the way that people are perceived and the projection of monstrosity is put on people to justify some pretty unjust things. So for example, with this work, so if you haven't seen it, it's, it's an empty theatre and then we've got uh, this sculpture in the middle over here, which is a monstrous figure based on a Yunnan stumbled monkey, but I'll, I'll get back to that because we've got ages, so I wanted to start at the very beginning. And the, the first works I did that explored this were in 2014, which is a photographic series called Siege. And the genesis for that particular series was uh, by chance, and so often with my work it comes from the news, it comes from personal experience and relating to things around me. Okay, I kind of talk all over the place, so bear with me and <laughs> please be patient. But um, the, I was at home and I was watching the news, ABC 24, and it had some old footage of the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. And on the screen, the Mujahideen, who would later become the Taliban, uh, there was a group of them riding across a desert landscape on horseback with Kalashnikovs across their back, sort of looking for Russians, I assume. And by chance, at the same time, on my laptop, I was watching the original 1968 Charles Heston version of Planet of the Apes. And on that laptop, uh, on the screen there, the gorillas or the bad guys were just by chance happened to be riding across a desert landscape on horseback wearing these particular robes with science fiction Kalichnikovs across their back. And for me, there was an immediate correlation between these depictions of that monstrous threatening other. And then I started to see it, or, or you could see it in cowboy and Indian movies, these sort of things where uh, the First Nations people are depicted as this sort of threat, threatening savage that exists on the horizon that's always a threat. But it's a projection. It's a way to frame a group of people, frame an often marginalised group of people or a disenfranchised group of people uh, as somehow threatening and monstrous so that you feel okay about digging into them or taking what they've got or, or being violent or committing atrocities. And I saw it often like I talk about, my brother and I talk about a lot being growing up Muslim in Australia and having a pre-9-11 experience and a post-9-11 experience. So that shift after 9-11 in the perception of Muslims in the country and the perception of Muslims worldwide and understanding that 
idea of being perceived of as threatening. So, like, when I was growing up, before 9-11, I was used to being the three Bs, uh, brown, broken, beautiful. But <laughs> then after 9-11, that, that shifted a little bit with that added sort of situation where being perceived of as actively threatening or threatening a, and, like, having representing an existential threat, which is something which is very, very strange. So, oh, I've kind of gone in circles. So, if we go back to what I was talking about, about the Planet of the Apes, with, <laughs> with that work, uh, with the, the, the first photographic series I did with that, I got a, a mask from the 2000, I think 2002 or 2001 Tim Burton version of Planet of the Apes, with Marky Mark in there, and I got a makeup tester and wore that and made a series of self-portraits and the first one was called You See Monsters, where it was almost an accusation of the audience of this is what you see when you see a person like me, is this sort of monstrous figure. And that, that has transformed and developed over the years into this sculpture. So this is a, a self-portrait, but it's also a metaphor where I've, I've chosen a particular monkey, a Yunnan snub-nosed monkey. It's an endangered monkey from, the, from Yunnan province in China, but I chose it because of the way that it looks. Like, it, it's both appealing and draws you in. It's quite a beautiful monkey, but it's also like repulsive and a little bit scary. So if you, if you see it, like it's, it also looks like surgery gone wrong. It's got really big lips and it's got a skull nose. It's all these things coming together and it sits in this empty theater wearing designer, um, or actually fake designer streetwear. So he's wearing fake Gucci, fake Supreme, and he's got some TNs on and he's got Balenciaga pants. So that, the idea is that he's sitting in a space, either the first to arrive or the last to leave, really actively wanting to participate. So like eager to participate on the edge of his seat, um, but being actively excluded. So that idea of him being the understudy, that idea of him being this repulsive, beautiful creature that sits on the wings waiting to have a turn, but is forever sort of sitting in. And what I've done with the space is, is lit it in a particular way, how I'd light my photographs. So we've got a blue wash over the space with a white light on the subject. So you're drawn to him and you're also drawn to the stage where we've got a live microphone. So at any point anyone is allowed to come up and say their piece or they could sing a song or they could tell some jokes but that idea of participation but, but uh, passive participation. So you don't have to come up and jump up. In fact you probably won't and that's totally fine. But the idea of where you can sit with this monster and, and, and uh, share the space with them but also you could tell them a story. So that idea of participation and and bringing in people like that. Um, where was I going? Oh, also, <laughs> like the idea of the, the outfit being fake for me was important, and the idea of that imposter syndrome of wanting to fit in, and not only wanting to fit in, but wanting to shine, but inherently not being able to do so. Like the, these are not the real Gucci's, they're not the real Supreme, it's sort of trying to imitate what's around you and imitate sort of bastions of culture and imitate, oh, well, yeah, trying to be your best self. And then the embroidery that we've got outside is breaches, again looking at sort of zombie films and that idea of a zombie apocalypse, but then using a very traditional narrative, illustrative and very craft way of, of producing an image. Um, so I'm working with Echo Negroho's studio in Jogjakarta. He's a fantastic artist and he's developed this embroidery technique. So in his village, uh, they traditionally made him like, well, not traditionally, but like in the last hundred years, they made uh, embroidery patches for businesses and that sort of thing, but that's all been replaced by digital embroidery. So as a way of sort of re-employing his kampong, his village, he's developed this technique of using those traditional methods but upscaling it to produce very large scale work. So 
working with a team of embroiderers will go, will go over a painting of mine or an image of a painting of mine and go brush stroke by brush stroke matching the colour by eye with a sewing machine going backwards and forwards and it takes about four months to produce so it's, it's a really long process. I've got a studio, a permanent studio in Jogjakarta and I go back and forth between Sydney and here and, um, not here, Sydney and Jogja <laughs> and um, yeah, produce a lot of work there. Well I, I really like the idea of that empty stage so it's quite a lonely stage, that idea of just a microphone sitting by itself, that I think it has a lot of possibilities, it's sort of uh, brimming with that tension of, like it's, uh, I don't know if you, if you see it in the same way, but I see it as a sort of electric tension of potential, it's like a, a boulder on the edge of a cliff, that live mic on the empty stage that anything possibly could happen, and there's an openness to it. I don't know if it's an optimism, but there's certainly a future that he's looking towards, and the fact that it's so inviting, but also so fraught, like, yeah, that, that boulder on the edge of the rock. And so, oh yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't know if it's like an apt anecdote, but like uh, one of the things, so my, my parents there in the audience, very, very lovely people, and they had three boys, all called Abdul, who went to art school. And my, my sister uh, owns a boxing gym. So it was a good, healthy mix. And, and m myself and my brother, Abdul Rahman, who's here, we grew up boxing. And there's something here, performative about it, well, yeah, obviously something performative about it, but there, uh, there's nothing more terrifying for me, and even the memory of it is, like, I've never been more scared in my life as when I'm walking from the change room to the ring, to pass an audience, and it's walking to a stage, I guess, and it wasn't even fear of losing, it was never fear of losing, it was fear of being humiliated, and that was the one that sort of, that's what, that's what, like, pushes that, that anxiety, and in, although this is in a boxing ring, that idea of walking to that stage, that walking to the stage to perform in front of people and that fear and anxiety of humiliation and I think that's what drives a lot of this and it drives a lot of the anxieties and so he's almost sitting there contemplating that although he hasn't made that journey it's that that tension that comes with that. The the initial uh, this is the second version of understudy so the first version took about four months to complete in uh, 2018 and then I showed it at a, a miniature version of this at Art Basel in Hong Kong um, and it was a and although that was a complete work, it was really interesting in the way the experimentation happened. So that led into how I've set this up. So to, to give a bit of context, uh, it was in, it's at an art fair, but we set it up in the middle of a booth and we were just working with orientation and that's where I decided to have the back facing the audience so that as you come into the space, you're not necessarily conscious. You might just think it's an actual person and that's what happened mostly. So in the booth I had, it, it was my monkey in that case was looking at a series of paintings and I... I just loved watching people come into the space and, you know, due to the sort of social conditions, you don't want to, there's someone sitting there and you don't want to make eye contact necessarily, so people would sort of edge around them and look at the paintings and only on their way out, way out would they notice and like get that, get that fright and I, I really enjoyed that sense of discovery, so that's what I wanted to do with this space, oh sorry, and this one took about four months to produce, but... <laughs> so, so this space as you come in, I like that the space is like demarcated. You come in down the stairs and it's a blue space. It feels different. It feels like you're walking into an environment, into an experience. And I really like that you may not ever see him, that you might come and walk through the back or you might come and see Willow's work and then go backwards and never make eye contact or m never notice that the monster's there. And the, that, that joy in that sense of discovery, I really like that. I know that when I come into a work and I discover something about it, or I feel like I've discovered something about it, that I feel a sense of ownership over it, and I, like, I, I, I own that experience, and that's what I wanted to sort of 
emulate, or that's what I wanted to do with this particular work. So, it, although it's quite an obvious work, work, but it's not obvious if you haven't seen the, the Monkey Man. It's always a bit of a surprise. Oh, one funny thing with Hong Kong is that at the end of the day, at the end of the, each night of the fair, the security would try and kick him out. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the backbone of my practice is, is, is painting, so I've been doing that for the longest. Um, but branching out in all sorts of different ways, so photography, embroidery, sculpture, installation. Um, but on, so tomorrow I fly to New York and my next show opens on Friday, I think, next Friday. So doing a solo presentation at the Armory Show in New York and there's a, uh, with a 12 metre painting, which is a, that's been my last three months. So the last six months has been producing this work and that painting, so I've been very busy, but now I get to party for a month and that's good fun. So. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and with that, especially with the coronavirus, it is, is, it is happenstance, but it sort of touches on a few things, that, that idea of, like, I'm very conscious of the way that, that, that monkeys are used in the idea when talking about race, and that as a, as a racist trope, and it's, and it's why it's a self-portrait in that sort of, that, per, that perception, like, I, I, I struggle with that, well, not struggle with that perception, but even like, say there's, to go in a circle, say the, the movie Romper Stomper, which is, you know, a film about races. But even in the way that it was made, the Vietnamese people that are portrayed in it are sort of like a, a, a mob. Like there's never any humanity afforded to the people that are the victims in that movie. It's seen as like a, mo a, a mob of machete will, apart from the couple at the very beginning that get beaten up. I don't know if you're all familiar with Romper Stomper, but they're, 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 when the Vietnamese people come back for them, they're just portrayed as this sort of vicious, yabbering mob. And that mentality is seen in the way that uh, even with the coronavirus recently, sort of the racist mentality that's coming up and the way people are being yelled at on the street, it's, it's, it brings up all this sort of stuff that's just not even below the surface, it's just sort of implicit in our day-to-day -day experience. Uh, so this was made with Makeup Effects Group, and Makeup Effects Group is a movie effects company in Sydney, and they made Patricia Piccinini's, they have, they've made for her before, before she's moved her, uh, her practice in-house to a studio in Melbourne. So she was working with these guys and now she doesn't anymore. Yeah. Oh, sort of. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm there like, they're, they're, they, they work with movies and stuff, so I'm the, the annoying like, guy who <laughs> comes in and says, can I do one little project? <laughs> but I need all your time. <laughs> that was so fabulous. Thank you so much. You're so generous, the work's so generative, there's so much going on, delighted to hear those encounters with the work, which will of course continue for the next three months. So exciting. Join me in thanking one last time Abdul Abdullah. Thanks guys.